Well, good morning, everyone. It's so great, great to have all of you with us this morning. Uh, whether you're checking in online, I actually got a text from someone in Houston this morning saying that they were watching online. So grateful to have you. And uh, if you're in the room, that's cool. That's really cool that we're having people in the room on a more regular basis. It's really, really cool. So thanks for being here. Um, over the next few weeks, I'm, I'm really excited because as we're coming to the end of the summer break, and I probably shouldn't say that out loud because you'll get mad at me, it's still summer. Um, but it's the 18th of July already, and soon we're going to be starting a new series as we kick off a new season, new school year, and I'm really excited about that. But I'm kind of excited about these few weeks in between because sometimes there's ideas that we want to talk about that don't really fit perfectly into a series, and we want to talk about them because they're important. So the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about a few of these important ideas that um, uh, we'd love to kind of explore a little. Today, what I want to do is, is I actually want to look at a question that I think is really, really important uh, for Christians to answer. If you're a Christian, I think this is a really important question. Um, you see, we live in a world that over the last few years, things have been shaken up significantly, and I think there's different seasons in life where that happens and in history where that happens, but I think this last season has shaken things up tremendously, and I think uh, sometimes Christians have uh, navigated the shakeup poorly. <laughs> Sometimes Christians and churches have navigated in a, in a poor way and have hurt those around them, have, have hurt people outside of church and maybe made people outside of church going, yeah, that's why I don't wanna be in church. Um, and I think sometimes the way we've navigated this also hurts us and, and our own journey. Uh, let me see if I can put us on the same page and kind of get us going with, with what I mean. Um, if you're a Christian, um, then you're someone who has discovered the beauty of who Jesus is, the beauty of what he did, of what he said. If you're a Christian, you've discovered that. And you've come to believe that he is the son of God. He is who he said he is. And that's changed your perspective on life. It's changed your perspective on you. It's changed your perspective on him, on God. And, and, and it's changed the way you wanna live. That's, that if, if you're a Christian, that's probably what's happened. And my guess is that if those things are true of you, then you have a set of beliefs. You have a worldview, if you will. You see life a certain way. You have a faith that's very dear to you, very important to you, but that faith does sometimes come into conflict with things around you. That faith um, comes into conflict with, with things in our world, in our society. If you're a Christian, you have these beliefs that you hold onto and you love and you, that are precious to you, but sometimes you bump into situations, you bump into things where it, it kind of disagrees with it, it kind of comes into conflict. Um, oftentimes we feel this in media or in Hollywood in social media, or even in relationships with people around us, maybe a neighbor, maybe a friend, maybe a family member, maybe a colleague, a boss, or someone around you, maybe parents of kids at school that your kids attend the school, but sometimes we come into these situations with, with I don't know, just culture or with individuals where, where people or culture sort of discounts this faith you hold. This, this thing that you're like, I believe this, I love this, and something happens that discounts your faith maybe as just fanciful, as ancient, you know, that's so old. Why on earth do you believe a book that's so old? What, you know, what is that? It doesn't even fit into modern day world. Or, or as bigoted, people see your faith, <laughs> Christianity is just something that's bigoted or irrelevant or simply misplaced, or, or in a world where knowledge is king, maybe people in, in your world, you bump into something that just feels like Christianity is uneducated. Now, let me just pause here and say, if you're not a Christian, 
and you think some of these things, if you're listening in and you, and you think some of these things, I don't really blame you. <laughs> because the reality is sometimes the church and sometimes Christians have done things and presented Christianity in an irrelevant way. And so if you're in that place going, I tried, and it just didn't make sense, it just wasn't relevant to me, I don't blame you because there's a lot of good and understandable reasons why you may feel that. And we have done, as churches and Christians throughout history, we have done things that have just come across as, as, as bigotry. We have. So if you feel that, again, I'm not surprised and I don't blame you. Or, or maybe you've bumped into Christians or, or churches or Christian leaders who never take the time to just listen and hear and understand your perspective, your beliefs. And so in a sense, yes, we have come across very uneducated in that sense as well. So, so if you're in that place, I don't blame you. I'm not surprised. And I'm not surprised our world sometimes feels those things. But here's the problem. We're a church. <laughs> and, and if you're a Christian and you do hold these things that bump up against the world that says, no, that's stupid, that's ancient, that's archaic, that's this, that's this. We do bump against those things. That creates a tension. How do you navigate that? How do you, how do you, what do you do with that? And that sets up this question. That's kind of the first part of this question. What do you do in a world where you believe something, you hold it, you think this is amazing, you've discovered Jesus, you're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And you live in a world that says, that's stupid. How do you navigate that? What do you do with that? And then to make things a little harder, it, it, it's not just around what we believe. Because Christians don't only believe something. That tension of, of you know, conflicting ideas goes more than just belief. It goes into how we think we want to live how we choose to live as well. The reality is that Christians, as Christians, our faith isn't just faith. It's not just some religious thing that you do on Sundays. It impacts who we are and what we do and what we don't do. I mean, faith isn't really real unless it impacts how we live, right? Faith, um, that, you know, it it's, needs to be tangible. What's the point of believing in Jesus if Jesus doesn't impact your life? If Jesus doesn't define you in some way, shape, or form, what's the point in believing in Jesus then? And so because we believe in him, and because he has changed us, when we believe in him, Christianity teaches that he changes who we are. And because we've given our lives to him, and because we want to follow what he taught, we want to live our lives in a certain way. We want to do certain things. We want to not do other things, not because the Bible says so, but because we trust Christ. We, we think he's smart. <laughs> we, we, we're blown away by who he is. We trust him, and he changes us, so we want to live our lives in a certain way. And, and, and we don't always get it right by no means. We make mistakes and we do stupid things and we are far from perfect, far from perfect. But there is something in us that wants to follow this incredible Savior because we love him <laughs> and because we, we think he's wise and he understands life and he understands us and, and he loves us and he wants our best. That's what we believe. And so while we don't always get it right, there's something in us that wants to obey him, that wants to follow him. We wanna follow his thoughts about life, about everything in life. We wanna follow his thoughts about marriage, his thoughts about finances and relationships and communication and conflict resolution. We want to follow his thoughts about how to live. 
parenting, about sex, about morality. We want to follow him because we know he loves us and we love him and he's changed us, something inside of us. And so we want to live that certain way. I'm so grateful for this reality in my life. I'm so grateful because I've, I've talked about my you know, childhood and, and the broken family that I grew up in. But man, just for those of you who don't know, we, we grew up in a broken home, uh, several divorces, bankruptcy led to loss of a home and loss of a car. We moved 19 times before I was 19 years old. Very, very insecure childhood. And so I grew up learning a lot of bad lessons, not because my parents were bad at all, but because things just didn't work. It was a mess. And so I learned a lot of bad lessons about myself, about marriage, about family, about communication, about parenting, about conflict resolution, about relationships. I learned a lot of those things. And I'm telling you, the only reason I can manage to do life and marriage, my wife likes me, it's really cool, and kids and parenting and, and leadership and all these things, the only reason I can do that is because of the reality of what Christ has done in me. And because of what he's done in me and how he's changed me and how I want to follow what he says is the wisest thing. And as I do, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's better. <laughs> and I want to do things differently because of what he said, because of what he's done and because of how he leads me. So I want to, and even in my imperfection, I have discovered that his ways have helped me do life differently, and I'm grateful, so grateful for that. So to come back to the idea that I'm sort of building this case for is that not only do Christians have certain beliefs, we believe certain things, but Christians also have a way of life that they want to live. We truly want to follow God's principles, Christ's teachings about everything. We want to, and that's where more tension arises in our world, in our relationships, in how we navigate life, because our society and culture sometimes doesn't only question this faith thing, but sometimes it questions this Christian way of living thing, the way that Christ has called us to live, the way that Christ has called us to do life, how he has made us, who he has made us to be. So sometimes our culture doesn't only discount what we believe, but also disagrees with the way that we should live. So there's these two areas of conflict. I believe this. Well, that's stupid. And sometimes, you know, people aren't ugly sometimes. Sometimes they are. Sometimes culture is. But sometimes it's just this conflict about what I believe. I hold this really dear. Why do you believe that? And how I live and what I want to do, that's stupid. That's archaic. Why do you do that? So the question that I think all of us, if you're a Christian, the question we need to ask ourselves is this. What do you do in a world that discounts your beliefs and disagrees with your way of life? What do you do? <laughs> How do you navigate that? What do you do in a world that discounts your beliefs and disagrees with your way of life? How do you handle that? How do you handle it when the common theme in media and music and TV all point in one direction and you are trying to walk in a different direction? How do you handle it when, when movies and media and music industry dilute what you believe? And, and, and most people around you are fine. They're okay with it. Just go with it. It's, it's, it's the world. Come on. No problem. You're okay to engage with it. Okay for kids. You know, let my kids watch it. This is just part of life. What do you do when, when you're trying to navigate that going, I don't know if I want to engage. I don't know if I want my kids to engage. And they're like, come on, whatever. It doesn't matter. Just go with it. Silly example of this is, 
few years ago, uh, our kids, we've got two boys, and they were under 10 years old, and a movie came out, a really popular, cool, great movie, and my wife and I went and watched it. And man, it's a fun, great, awesome, action, cool movie, just really cool. And we thought, we'd love to show the boys this. We'd love for the boys to watch this. And as we watched it through their eyes, and as we did some research, you know, IMDb has this parent guide. I don't know if you know it. You can see exactly what's in a movie so that you know what you're getting into and know what your kids are getting into before they get into it. And then you've got to explain rather than prevent, you know, that kind of thing. So we use that a lot. So we watched this movie through their eyes, and, and, and the whole movie was so fun and awesome and great, except for one scene. And it was like 20 seconds, the silly scene. And what happened was it, it, it kind of moved in a sexual direction, nothing blatant, nothing, nothing huge, but it just said something, it showed something that devalued and objectified women. Something that's just accepted in movies all the time. It was funny, everybody's laughing. It was funny, but it devalued objectified women. And it's something that could have just gone in one ear, out the other, but it was something that we just didn't want to be normal for our boys. We just didn't want it to be a common idea for them as they navigate respecting, knowing, treating women and girls. We didn't want that to be there. And so at that age and that stage, we said, no, we don't want you to watch this movie. <clears throat> and I told someone who was in our circle that we're not going to let the boys watch that movie. And they were like, what? Come on, it's a great movie. And you know what? I felt weird. I felt silly. And I don't want to feel weird. I don't want to feel, it's a good movie, except that one scene, what do you do with that? And I don't want my kids to feel weird and silly and different. So the question is, do you just go with it? You just lower your standards and go with it? Do you just really forget about it and hope for the best? Woohoo! <laughs> what do you do? How do you navigate moments, situations like that? When you've got this faith that you hold on to, you believe it. And you've got this way of life that you want to do your best. You're not going to do it perfectly. You're not going to do it all. But you want to do your best. You want to do that. How do you navigate that? Some of the examples. How do you navigate it if you're a teenager or a single adult? And because you want to honor God and because you trust what God has said about sex and that it's for you know, marriage and you want to hold yourself for marriage and yet you live in a world that looks at you like you're an idiot. And that's stupid, and that's archaic, really. You're gonna read words that were written 2,000 years ago, and you're gonna go with that, really? What do you do with that? But you believe, because he's God, you believe that he wants your best, you believe that the best path to true intimacy is, is, is purity as you move toward that ah, conflict with everything around you. What do you do in that moment? What do you, how do you, and there's so many examples we could talk about this conflict thing that we bump into, the way of life. Here's one more. How do you handle it when the common way of communicating and relating to people is to build myself up and to tear others down? And, and you don't wanna do that because Christ has done something in you and Christ has called you to, to love others, serve others, and to build others up. And so you're the one guy going, hey, <laughs> what do you do in that moment? How do you navigate that when, when, when you want to serve and build others up? Because that's not common. How do you live out a desire to be kind? How do you train your kids to be kind in a world where kindness is often crushed? Because I've got to beat you, and I've got to be better than you, and you're weak, and I'm going to show I'm strong. How do you navigate that kind of stuff? When you believe something, 
and you want to live something, and, 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 and we live in a world that discounts your beliefs and disagrees with your way of life. Now, before I jump into what I think is the best answer I've ever come across to answer this question that I love and has become so important to our family, so important to our boys as we've navigated things, before I get to that, I want to address what I think the church and what Christians have sometimes done with this question. When, when the, the world around me, people around me, whatever, discount my beliefs and disagree with my way of life, oftentimes we've responded and reacted in a way like this. And if you're not a Christian, let me pause here again and say that this may be some of what you've tasted when it comes to Christians, where you have sincerely disagreed where you have sincerely not believed something, and it's not like you're choosing, I'm gonna, you're, not, you're, not a, you're a good person, but you don't believe this stuff, and then Christians have responded in a way, and perhaps because of this response, it's made you not even want anything to do with Christianity. And if you're there, let me, I just wanna address these things because maybe this is what's caused a bad taste or bad experience with Christianity. So what have Christians and churches sometimes done? Maybe, maybe we've done it. And the way that we sometimes respond when you know, the world around us, people, whoever it is, culture, whatever it is, discounts our faith and disagrees with our way of life. There are three common responses that I've seen and I've bumped into myself at some points. First one we do is I think we judge. Churches judge. Christians sometimes judge people who disagree with what I wanna do and discount my faith. And my guess is you felt this before because it happens. Churches judge and condemn and tell you that they're better than you sometimes. And nothing hurts more, nothing ostracizes people more, nothing pushes people away more than when we judge someone else who doesn't even believe what we believe. And somehow we judge people based on our thoughts, our values, our life, our beliefs. And we expect someone else to be judged and they don't even believe that. And you know what we're saying to people when we judge them? We're saying that I'm better than you. Because when you judge someone, you're putting yourself in some sort of seat above them. Let me ask you something. When did that happen? When did we become better than anyone else? We're not. And yet somehow we feel like we have the right to judge people. And you know what's crazy? <laughs> this is crazy. What's crazy is that our own Bible, even though this is such a common response for Christians and churches, our own Bible literally tells us not to do this. Very clearly, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12 says this. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 12. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? <laughs> Are you not to judge those inside? What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? That second part is something to talk about and what that means, but it's so clear. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? And yet one of the most common responses to a culture and a world or individual people that discount Christian beliefs or disagree with Christian standards or ways of life is to judge. That's not what Jesus did. It's not what he's called us to, and it's not what our own Bible tells us to do. So the first thing we often do is we judge. The second thing we do when we don't wanna be mean and we don't wanna judge, we do something else that's not as hateful, not as mean, but it's also not helpful. We withdraw. When we bump into situations, cultures, people that discount our faith and disagree with our way of life, we withdraw. And sometimes it's done for good reason. We wanna protect our faith. 
We want to protect the kids. We want to make sure that, that we're okay, that we're going to hold on to this thing. So we withdraw in order to do that. Throughout history, there have been monks and monasteries where people believed in order to live a holy life, in order to live a good life, you have to withdraw from the evil world around us. And this thing, this response is oftentimes why some churches feel more like a country club of insiders rather than a church like Jesus intended. But again, it's common. And, and even though it's so common, this is literally not what Jesus wanted. There is very clear, his own words in a prayer he prayed for us as Christians. We see that this is not what he wanted for us to withdraw. In John chapter 17, verse 15, Jesus is praying and he says this, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them. That Jesus did not want us to withdraw from the world, clearly by his own words. But when we do this, we become sort of this holy huddle that basically rejects anybody who's different. And yet, this is the common reaction to disagreement. It causes Christians, if, you know, to out, if we don't want to outwardly judge, to withdraw. And as a result, we separate ourselves from the very people that Jesus wants us to love and serve, and be there for. So we sometimes judge, we sometimes withdraw. And the third one, again, I think this comes from probably good motives, that I don't wanna be mean and judge, and I don't wanna withdraw. And so we kind of flip to the opposite end of the spectrum, and the, the last thing that I wanna talk about as a response to this dilemma, this tension, is that we conform. We conform. We don't want to be hateful. We don't want to judge other people. So we just kind of conform to what's happening around us. We water down what we believe. We water down what Jesus taught. And we conform to the beliefs and the values and the standards of the things that are going on around us. Because it's easier to do it that way. We don't want to be offensive. We don't want to be mean. So we conform to the culture. Even though it goes against what we really believe. And what scripture calls us to, we, we, we do it. And here's the problem. When we downplay our beliefs and dilute our way of life, we don't have anything to offer anyone. And the church kind of becomes, what's the point? What's the point? When we dilute what we believe, we forget who we are and eventually don't have anything to give. <laughs> Even though judging, withdrawing, and conforming are three very common responses to this tension, Scripture, once again, literally says, I don't want you to do that. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says so clearly, first three words, do not conform yourselves to the standards of this world. But let God transform you inwardly by a complete change of your mind. Then you will be able to know the will of God, what is good and is pleasing to him and is perfect. <laughs> Scripture clearly says that. And yet, a very common response that Christians have made is to judge, to withdraw, or to conform. So if that's not what Christ has called us to, then what has he called us to? What should we do as, you know, what should you do in a world that discounts your beliefs and disagrees with your way of life? How do you handle it? If we shouldn't judge, if we shouldn't withdraw, if we shouldn't conform, what is the answer? What should we do with that? And that's where I wanna look at this brilliant, brilliant little statement that actually includes five individual statements that I think is the best answer to how to navigate a tension that we do feel that is real in our world. And it's something that Paul wrote. Paul was a guy, for those of you new to Bible study or, or new to understanding who this guy was, Paul was a guy who, who lived right around the time Jesus lived. 
And he spent most of his early life trying to impress God and trying to earn God's favor. And in doing that, he held a certain belief system that he was gonna protect with his whole life. He withdrew from everybody else and he started judging anyone who, who believed differently and who lived differently. And in the end, Paul became one of the, I guess, one of history's biggest bigots based on his belief and based on what other people believed. And he hurt a bunch of people. That's who Paul was. And then he met Jesus. <laughs> and everything changed in Paul when he met Jesus. And so after meeting Jesus, his whole life changed. He wanted everyone to know about Jesus because this was different, this was new, this was real. And so he went all over the known world, the Mediterranean room, starting these little churches, introducing Christianity to a world that had zero Christianity, like zero. Not like, you know, I believe stuff and people around me don't believe it. No, they had nothing, nothing. And Jesus, Paul introduced Jesus to these places and, 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 and obviously, because of that, there was no one in these cities that agreed with this belief. There was no one in these cities that agreed with this way of life. The, the best example is in Corinth. Uh, Corinth was one of the cities that Paul visited. And Corinth was, man, it was crazy. If you feel like people don't believe what I believe, this place was wild. They, they, it was a Greek city and they, they believed in the pantheon of these Greek gods. And the primary temple in Corinth was the temple to the goddess Aphrodite. This is what they believed. They, they, they did this. And in this temple, the, she was the goddess of love, beauty, and desire. So she's the goddess of that. And you can imagine what worship of that goddess would entail. Uh, historians tell us that in that temple, there were times when they housed a thousand female priests. And the way that they engaged people was they engaged in religious prostitution for the worshipers. That's in Corinth. Let me introduce Christianity. Let me introduce Jesus. There was conflict right there. And that's just one thing that happened. One dictionary describes Corinth like this. Corinth was known and identified far and wide as a city of evil, immorality, and frivolousness. And that was to the people of the day. That wasn't to like the Christian people. That was to like everybody. In fact, they, they had coined a term to Corinthianize. And that meant to practice immorality. Like, that's what Corinth was. And so Paul comes and says, hey, guys, let me introduce Christianity. And so they faced this tension. How do I live this? How do I navigate my faith and what I want to do and how I want to follow Jesus in the midst of this culture that was so against it? And Paul wrote a book, a letter to them that we know is 1 Corinthians. It's in our Bibles. We can read this. And he answers this question. How do you live out your faith in a world where people discount your belief and disagree with your way of life. And we can read this letter. I would say go read it. He speaks about a bunch of different stuff and marriage and lawsuits and leadership and a bunch of relevant issues in this letter. But right at the end of this letter, as he's kind of signing off, doing his final greetings, giving final notes, <laughs> he gives the statement that I think summarizes how do you navigate your faith in a world that discounts your beliefs and disagrees with your way of life. How do you do that? And I think this is the best summary that I've ever found. This has become so important. This little passage, we, our whole family's learned this. It's become so important as we navigate. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna watch? What are we gonna, how are we gonna navigate this? How do we do this? These five statements are brilliant. And if you're not a Christian, my guess is if Christians were to live this out, you would go, okay, that makes sense. And I also think if we were to navigate it with these five statements, I think that it would go a long way in healing the, 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 the damage done 
by the judging, the withdrawing, and the conforming. So let me uh, jump into these five statements that I think would be uncommon in our world, uncommon in the Christian world even. And I hope, I hope, I hope we can do our best to walk out these five statements. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 to 14. This is kind of his final summary statement. How do you navigate it? This is what he says. <clears throat> Be watchful. Be watchful. Stand firm in your faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And let all that you do be done in love. If you can navigate your life, your faith, in a world that disagrees, discounts, this is what I want you to do. Be watchful. Stand firm in your faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And let all that you do be done in love. I want to kind of dive into them just a bit to talk about what they mean because I think there's so much power in all these things. And the first four of these help us understand that, that we don't have to conform to, to standards and beliefs around us. We don't have to, the first four do that. The last one shows us that we don't have to judge and we don't have to withdraw. So the first four, the first one is be watchful. What does that mean? I think what he's saying is, is this, don't go blindly into things. Don't do anything blindly. Ask yourself of everything you walk into, is this helpful? Is this wise? Is, is this relationship helpful? Is this beneficial? Is that a good idea? Ask yourself. Imagine we could just take one second before we do anything, decide anything, go anywhere, do what we do, and we could just think, is this movie a good idea? Is this date a good idea? Is this guy, is this relationship a good idea? Is this decision a good idea? Is this job, promotion, a good idea for my family? Imagine we just took five seconds and asked that question. And if you're a Christian, imagine we took a moment and said, God, is this what you want? I trust you. You've changed me. You've made me different. I want to, is this, is this wise? Is this, the, is this your best for me? Should I go down this road? And you know what you do when you're asking that question? You're making a, you're taking a moment and, and remembering this conscious contact. You're increasing your conscious contact with your heavenly Father who loves you. If we just take a moment and say, God, is this what you want me to do? Be watchful. I think it's not only be watchful about the things we do now, but I think it's also be watchful about where you're headed. I think it's looking ahead. Look ahead. Don't just think of the now, but be intentional with your kids, with your marriage, with your relationships. Parent and relate and do finances, not just for now. Parent for five years. Relate for 10 years from now. Be watchful in everything you do. How will this affect my marriage as I move forward? How will this affect my future marriage? How will this affect the marriage I want to have that I don't yet have? How will this affect my relationships with my kids? How will this affect my dreams? I think it's brilliant just to stop and go, be watchful. Be watchful. What's going into my head? We told our boys when they were young, whatever goes into your eyes gets stuck in your head. So be watchful. Be watchful. In a world of conflicting beliefs and lifestyles, this will set us up to ask the right questions, to navigate these decisions of what it is that I need to do, how, where do I need to go? Be watchful so we don't just become defined by whatever the world dictates around us. Be watchful. That's the first thing he says. As you navigate your faith in a world that discounts beliefs sometimes and disagrees with ways of life, and again, you know, that happens. That's normal. People believe different things, but as you hold on to what you believe, what do you do with that? How do you navigate it? Number one, be watchful. And then the second one, this is foundational for Paul. He says, stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in your faith. He says, 
the original Greek word that Paul used for the word faith is pistuo, and, and, and that means to believe to the extent of complete trust and reliance. To believe to the extent of complete trust and reliance. So I think it's interesting that what Paul's saying is stand firm in your reliance on God. In other words, stand firm in your acknowledgement that you can't stand firm. You need help. It's relying. Stand firm in the acknowledgement that you can't do this on your own, but you need help. You see, Paul, uh, he knew that everything he did, what he did, how he navigated life, how he bumped into experiences and walked through those, everything he did, his ability to be watchful, his ability to be strong, his ability to be courageous, his ability to love others was all based on his faith, his recognition that he was unable his recognition of his inability to do it himself and God's ability to forgive him, rescue him, and transform him. You see, Paul was one of the guys who was part of the group. I don't know if he was there or not, but he was part of the group that killed Jesus, that crucified Jesus. And, and then, as he's going along fighting for that, he saw Jesus alive again after he died. He met Jesus. That changed everything. And in that moment, he realized that Jesus was the Son of God and that all that Paul had been trying to do to earn God's favor, to impress God, didn't work because everything he did was tainted by his own imperfection, his own humanness, his own self-centeredness. And he knew that nothing he could do could earn God's favor. And then in that moment when he met Jesus, he realized that because of what Jesus had done, Jesus offered Paul God's favor for free. <laughs> and in that moment, it changed everything for Paul and for anyone who believes in the same faith in Christ because it gives God's grace access to us to forgive us, to rescue us, and to transform us. And I'm telling you, if we can stand firm in that faith, in this world that says, why? Why do you believe that? If we can stand firm in that faith, God's grace not only forgives us of our sin and our mistakes, it rescues us and it transforms us and helps us live the lives that he's called us to and the lives that we actually want to. So Paul says, guys, Yes, be watchful, but man, stand firm in this faith. Stand firm. It changes everything. And if he really is God and he's with you, gosh, that changes everything. Stand firm in this faith. And then he says, be courageous. You know why? Because it takes courage to hold on to that faith. It takes courage to bump up against things that say you're stupid for believing that and keep believing it. It takes courage to allow that faith to transform you into people who live selflessly and humbly and lovingly and forgivingly and intentionally in a world that sometimes doesn't value those things. It takes courage to allow Christ to define you. It takes courage. And then he says, be strong. In a world where it's so easy to compromise, so easy to give in, so easy to just kind of go whatever, Stand strong in this. I mean, Paul makes it absolutely clear, even in Corinth, <laughs> the city that was so against these beliefs and life, he makes it so clear, you don't have to conform. 
to the world around you. You don't have to. You can stand strong. He says it very, very clearly. But I'm so glad he didn't just leave it at those four because those four would allow us then to judge others and withdraw from people. He added the fifth one because this fifth one, yes, don't conform, but the fifth one says, ah, 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 don't use your strength and courage and firm faith and watchfulness to judge anyone else. He adds this fifth one that says this, let all you do be done in love. Yes, be watchful. Yes, stand firm in your faith. Yes, be courageous. Yes, be strong. But let all you do be done in love. You know what the Greek word for all is? It means all, like everything. It's really deep. It's amazing. You should... All, he says, and that includes, you know what that includes? That includes everything, but it includes how we relate to people who disagree with us, how we relate to people who don't believe what we believe, and so often we're like, what's wrong with you for not believing? Nothing's wrong. They just don't believe. You can't force someone to believe something they don't believe, and so how do we relate to people who are different, who don't believe, who choose to act different, different ways of life? Paul tells us exactly how we should. Let all you do be done in love. Every conversation, every interaction, every disagreement, let all you do be done in love. Another English translation puts it this way. It's beautiful. It says, let love prevail in your life, in your words, and in your actions. Let love prevail. You know what you can't do when you love someone and everything you do, you do in love? You can't condemn someone and judge them because you love when all you do is done in love. You can't withdraw from people when all you do is done in love. And so Paul's advice to this group of Christians living in Corinth in a world where they completely discounted their beliefs, completely disagreed with their ways of life, Paul's instruction was to be watchful, stand firm in this faith that Jesus made available by dying for you. Stand firm in this faith that God is with you and changing you and draws you. Stand firm in that faith. Be courageous. Be strong. But don't leave it there. If you leave it there, then it's separate. Then it's judgy. Then it's all that stuff. Let all you do be done in love. So let me ask us that question again. What do you do in a world that discounts your beliefs and disagrees with your way of life? What do you do? Paul's advice was don't judge. Don't withdraw. Don't conform, but rather be watchful. Stand firm in your faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And let all you do be done in love. What if we did that? What if that's what defined us? What if that's how we navigated this? I think it would be beautiful. I think, I, I, I think if you don't even believe this, I think you'll look at that and go, yeah, that makes sense. And it'll taste different. I think this is a verse that every one of us, if you're a Christian, should learn and take with you wherever you go to be watchful, stand firm in the faith, be strong, be courageous, do everything you do in love. I really do. And I think, I think that would be so uncommon <laughs> in our world. I think that'll be so uncommon in Christian circles even and I think it'll have the potential to help us navigate the craziness of this world and help others discover a Jesus who really loves them and wants what's best for them as well. Be watchful. Stand firm in your faith. Be courageous. Be strong.
that everything you do be done in love. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. I'm so grateful for your wisdom. I'm so grateful for your love. I'm so grateful that you know me and you know that in and of myself, I can't do that. I do it poorly. I mess up. I forget to be watchful. I compromise sometimes. But I'm so grateful, Father, for your grace that forgives, for your grace that rescues me from me, (laughs) and for your grace that transforms me and gives me the ability to live out this faith like you've called me to. Thank you, Father, and I pray that each of us will be able to be watchful, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything we do in love. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.